0: Alright, good evening. Yeah, that airs a hot mic. Ah. If I can't get gains in the gym, I can at least get gains from the microphone, alright? Take it where we can get it. <clears throat> so, uh, first of all, um, just, just so you guys know the, the twisted inner workings of the elder group at uh, Remnant of Israel... Right, Philip. Uh, Philip was, what, what, what's the word? Not very circumspect in uh, telling me to be quick tonight. All right? <laughs> you know that. Uh, you know you. Everyone here is a witness that I, I value and respect your time, and that I think it should be valued and respected by spending the vast majority of it listening to me. <laughs> now, uh, so so Philip was saying. You know, um, you know. Maybe we should have a, a short message. Did you hear that, Joe? A short message. Your your last one was not short. I'm not saying it was bad, but it was not short. So, uh, so so this one will uh, go fairly quickly. Um. Uh, so uh, for you know, welcome, of course, to Remnant of Israel Messianic Synagogue. We are celebrating. Uh, the Feast of Bikurim, the Feast of the First Fruits, right this is a, uh, this is a special Sabbath, right Tomorrow is a special Sabbath, right This is the first part right there's evening and morning the first day. So this is the beginning of a special Sabbath that will go into you know whatever you keep as heir of Shabbat six pm tomorrow right Oh so um, welcome we're glad you're here and uh, you're, you're probably glad to hear that the message will be short tonight and then we'll uh, uh... oh if I start off with Isaiah we're going to be here all night so we can't start off with Isaiah um, so O Lord open my mouth and my lips will tell forth thy praise two things I want to talk about fairly quickly uh, first of all First fruits, right? First fruits is one of the mo'adim, right? You just heard Philip read to you the, uh, the specific commandments for observing this mo'ad, right? Mo'ad means appointment, right? It's the same word that's used today in both Hebrew and Arabic for appointment, right? It's an appointed time. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the greatest Torah expositors of the 20th century was uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who made the case that uh, we sanctify God. You know, our, our religion, our belief is a little bit different than, uh, than other religions, right? Other religions might have holy places, right? Uh, you know, for, for um, al Islam, right? Mecca is a holy place, right? People travel to Mecca, they perform hajj, and uh, there they, they do their various things, right? That's, that's not true of us. Our God, blessed be He, is sanctified in time, right? And the, the Moadim are the times, right? The appointed times of Adonai, blessed be He. So that's one of the things we're here to do. Now, right, the, the first fruits, the feast of the first fruits is one of these times, right? Interestingly enough, it's not mentioned again in Deuteronomy. I don't know why, right, uh... There are some of the other feasts that are mentioned again in Deuteronomy, but this one is not. Um, But these, these times, these feasts, right? They all, they are, they are pictures of the things that God is doing in time, right? God, as we understand Him, is not bound by time, but He acts in time to take care of His temporal creatures. We are his temporal creatures, right? That he made and to restore the temporal creation that he created, right? So the, um, the, the Feast of the first fruits is, like all the other feasts, it is a prophetic picture, right? Like everything else in the Torah, right? The, the writer of the book of Hebrews talks to us about some of the things in the Torah, right? Whoever this writer is, by the way, some people think that the writer of the book of Hebrews might have been a woman, right? Possible. Uh, But the writer of the book of Hebrews talks to us about some of the things that are in the Torah, right? And then he finishes by saying, well, we don't have time to talk about this, 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 and this, right? So, but many of these things, all of these things, are pictures of the way that God is redeeming the world, right? Now, the Feast of the First Fruits, right? Very obviously a picture of the way that God is redeeming the world. So... I will read for you again. You heard it once from Philip, right? And Philip was uh, starting to uh, talk about, you know, some of the very important parts of this verse that I'd like to uh, mention for us tonight, right? This is from uh, Leviticus 23, starts in verse 9 and goes through verse 14. And Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits." of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord and be accepted, on, to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to Adonai. Its grain offering will be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to Adonai for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread, nor parched grain, nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. All right, so um, a few key points on this, right? Notice uh, a few things. The the purpose of this offering is, from verse 11, to be accepted on your behalf, right? Also, this this offering is going to the priest, right? And the priest waves this offering in front of Adonai. Finally, I'd like to point out, right, that up until this point, where where this lies in the cycle, this is basically, right, at at this point in time, uh, the people in the land of Israel would be harvesting basically their winter wheat. They'd be harvesting their barley crop right? In this month, the, the first crop is being harvested, right? Everything that you're eating up until that point in time is going to be, is going to be from last year's harvest, right? Your flour, your grain, all the things that, that are talked about in here, that's from last year's harvest, that comes forward, right? And then you don't eat anything of the current harvest until this has been offered, right? So much like Philip just talked about, right, these are, these are literally first fruits, right, first fruit is a good translation of this word the, word, the Hebrew word bikurim, right, and what's going on here is that this offering, right, this comes first, and then you get to enjoy the harvest, right, so uh, please just, I, I guess, note that, right, so the observance, Right? And yes, we don't have a temple here, right? But the observance is that uh, I think to our lives, what does that mean that we do, right? I, I think that that means that, you know, for us, you know, the the halakha that I would suggest in this matter is that, you know, that we we can give, you know, some type of tithe, and we just need to realize what we're doing here, right? In that, uh, you know. We're not as much of an agricultural society as they were back then, right? But that tithe, you know, should probably come first. Right? And again, that's not that description of this specific halakha is not the elders of Remnant of Israel trying to give money, trying to get you to give money to this synagogue necessarily, right? Remember that your tithe can be set aside for you to enjoy during the high holy days as well, right? So your tithe doesn't always need to be something that just, I, I gave 10% to the church, right? That's a, a misunderstanding of the application of the tithe. All right, I'd like to talk briefly about the spiritual application of what's going on here. And in this case, we're not going to be talking about spiritual applications in the book of Hebrews, right? We're actually going to go, why do people cheer when we're not reading Hebrews? That. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, so, I, I know. I know that every time we read Torah, we need to read the book of Hebrews. We're kind of going to be in the spirit of the book of Hebrews, but we're actually going to be in 1 Corinthians. Open with me, please, to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15. We're going to read the whole thing. It's a long chapter, too. But it's good. This is good stuff, right? So, Paul is going to... Paul is going to help us out with our understanding of the first fruits. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast to that word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures that he was seen by Cephas, that's Simon Peter, then the twelve, and he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are, of all men, most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at his coming... And then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do when they're baptized for the dead if the dead don't rise? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body which shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it as a body Excuse me. God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh, of men, another of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is also the glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, another glory for the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection from the dead. Body is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. it is raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. It is sown in natural body. it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written: "The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption Gigi don't sing please behold I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed it's an area for baritone anyways right you wouldn't sing that for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All right. Like I said, that was long. But a few key points I want to make of it. First of all, thank you, Gigi, for not singing. Sometime we should sing the, uh, the duet that comes after that, right? That'd be a lot of fun, right? If everyone is not thinking about uh, George Frederick Handel's uh, Messiah right now, uh, Western civilization has fallen. All right. So... A few notes from this passage, right? The more things go without saying, the more they need to be said, right? And they've been said. I I had the I had the misfortune of watching uh, a, a YouTube video a while ago um, and uh, a, a debate. Between the guy who is the head of the Anglican Church in along half the East Coast, and um, you know his his argument was that uh, was that the Messiah didn't actually rise. Okay, if I'm lying, I'm dying. All right, now key point. Right, let's open to uh, open back up. All right, I just closed my Bible, so now I have to find my spot again. All right. open back up to. Uh, Verse 39, right? Paul is talking about, right? He talks about all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh, right? Paul is talking about flesh. Flesh is physical. This resurrection is a physical resurrection, right? Jesus of Nazareth, his body was physically raised, okay? Anyone who tells you that, well, he was, he was, he, he continues on in our hearts. He continues in our spirit. All right. Welcome to Gnosticism. All right? One of the early heresies of the church that the church fathers had to fight. All right? That's not what we're talking about. Okay. I'm not talking about some weird, this is my truth, that's your truth, and, and in, in some sort of sense this happened. No. This is a physical resurrection. Yeshua ben Yosef Minatzeret physically First of all, he was physically dead. You will have people tell you, oh, well, he just swooned on the cross. It's called the swoon theory. Again, if I'm lying, I'm dying. And it's been, for the most part, discredited, but you'll hear some people talk to you about that nonsense. The man was dead. Romans knew how to kill people. They stabbed him in the side. His blood was starting to separate. If your circulatory system works, your blood doesn't separate all right that dead 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 the man was dead all right and he was raised from the dead he was dead 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 cold and dead all right right and he was raised physically from the dead Paul here is talking about a physical resurrection this is not some weirdness that he lives on in our memories no physical resurrection And again, Paul's argument here, right? Paul's argument is about physical resurrection, all right? The first fruits from the dead are literally from the dead. The man was dead. He's alive again physically, all right? His disciples saw him. His disciples saw him with holes in his hands, a hole in his side, holes in his feet, all right? But he was alive again, right? Now... Keep in mind, he was alive, he was raised perfectly, all right? It says, right, Paul talks about having a spiritual body. Now, this body was raised to a spiritual perfection, but it was also physical, right? Paul says the physical comes first, right? Just because he was raised with his perfect spiritual body doesn't mean that it was not also physical, all right? This is the way it was from the beginning. Right? And Paul talks about the beginning in here. He talks about how man broke things at the beginning. Right? But the Lord, blessed be He, breathed into the, into the first man, Adam, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Right? It was at that point in time that the spiritual and the physical were perfectly joined together. Right? Now, death is not natural. It is not part of God's plan. All right? That doesn't mean God isn't sovereign. It doesn't mean God isn't in control. All right? It means that when God gives dominion to man and man messes things up, God allows man the freedom to make choices even if they are stupid. All right. But death, right? it is death also that is the last enemy that is going to be destroyed. Right? Let's read it again. Then comes the end. Right? This is verse 24, and we'll continue reading on to verse 25. Then comes the end when he, that's our Messiah, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to, right, again, this is talking about our Messiah. He puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. All right? if you believe anything other than that Jesus of Nazareth rose physically, bodily, and defeated death, you are not being consistent with the message of the text here. All right? That's, you know, the, the argument that, well, you know, Jesus just lives on in our hearts. Right? We're going to call that simple Simon, as in Simon Peter. Right? Simple Simon that, you know, apparently... To, to listen to these weirdos that preach this heresy, and it is heresy, which is why we need to talk about it. Right? Oh, well, you know, Simon Peter and the other apostles, they just they, they figured out the deep spiritual meaning of what, what Jesus said. All right, Jesus did have some deep spiritual things that he said. But the fact of his physical, bodily resurrection is the key point of everything that we're talking about. If that didn't happen, everyone in this room is wasting your time on a Saturday night. All right? And if that didn't happen, let's eat drink, eat and drink because we're all going to die, right? I'm telling you, my kids say that I have no life, and that's partially true. But I've got (laughs) many things that are way better that I'm going to go do than spending time with you guys on a Saturday night. If... If Jesus of Nazareth did not rise from the dead, but if he did rise from the dead, then I've got nothing better to do than to celebrate that event right now. And neither do you. Uh, well, okay, it is a good thing we're here. All right, so, key point, right? Take a look at verse 12 with me from this same passage, right? Again, remember, the reason we're here, right? Paul, in this case, Usually we look to the writer of the book of Hebrews to explain Torah to us. Paul in this case is explaining to us the meaning of first fruits. That's why we're here. Take a look at verse 12 with me. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Again, it has to be a physical resurrection. Right? We There if he is not raised, there's no value in anything that we're doing. Right? You're wasting your time. As a matter of fact, if he hasn't been raised, your life is pretty much meaningless. Sorry, sorry to be the one to break it to you. But if, if there isn't a God who exists who is assigning moral and existential value to your life, if you're just a bag of chemicals, no, no one cares about chemicals. All right? And if he didn't get up and physically walk out of that tomb, if you're wasting your time. All right. Also, take a look with me, please. James. Book of James. James, who wrote the book of James? James, okay, good job, good job. Who was, there, there's lots of Jameses running around in this New Testament time, right? Keep in mind, his name was most likely Yehuda, right? He was a Mitzraki Jew, first century, right? And so James is a, a, a Hellenization of that name, all right? So who was this, who is this James character? What do we know about him? Okay, most likely the, the, the half-brother of Jesus, right? Keep in mind, right, none of Yeshua's family, with the possible exception of his mother, thought that he was the Messiah originally, during his, life, his lifetime, right? Now, he was executed. Three days later, he rose from the dead, right? And one of the people to whom he appeared was James, Right? Now, we don't have, in, in the scriptures, besides Paul's reference, Right, you heard, you heard that reference in the First Corinthians passage we just read. We don't have a recording of this encounter anywhere other than Paul's recording of it. Right? James doesn't talk about it here. Right? Now, we have, there are, to my knowledge, two other of the church fathers who talk about this. Right? They give some details on this encounter. Right? Not in the scriptures, so we're, we're not going to be dogmatic on it. Right? But we know this encounter took place. And this encounter caused James, who didn't think his brother was the Messiah, who most likely at one point in time, it is recorded in the Gospels, that his family came there because they thought he was a crazy man and they were going to take him and lock him away somewhere. Right? This same James had a life-changing experience. This same James decided that his brother wasn't just a special man, wasn't just a prophet, wasn't just a nice guy, but was God. Right? And given that we know that our risen master appeared to James, that's most likely what it was. Right? When you see your brother literally coming back from the dead, maybe we can believe that this is actually the God-man. Anyways, please join me in the book of James. We'll start in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, for every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All right, notice, right, our, right, Paul is very clear in saying that our Messiah is the first fruits from the dead, right? Now, James also says that we, right, if we believe in that first fruits, right, we get to be a kind of first fruits as well. Right? So reach over and pat yourself on the back, right? Because the feast of first fruits, right, is about our Master, Yeshua ben Yosef. Yes, that's true. It is also, in a sense, about everyone who would believe in Him, right? Because God is working to bring forth a harvest, and we get to be the first fruits of that harvest. All right? I also want to. Uh, Make the note that this this first fruit, right? It's brought forth, right? What does it say? Every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, right? First fruits of his creatures. Note that, right? Keep in mind, we want to fight against heresy. Yeshua ben Yosef Nazareth is not a creature. He was not created. Right? He, he had no beginning. Therefore, he was not created. We are creatures. We get to be the first fruits of those creatures in this world that has fallen, but that God is redeeming. All right. So also, this, this first fruits, this is offered to the Lord by the priest. Right? Now this is, again, the picture of the priest the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that that priest is a direct picture, right? That's an Aaronic priest, a physical descendant of Aaron, right? Has a copy of Aaron's Y chromosome in him, right? But our priest is that Melchizedek priest, right? Jesus of Nazareth is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's only one of them. It's an unchanging priesthood, right? But this first the first fruits, the first fruits are offered To God by the priest. So, what's going on here, right, is that every one of us, every one of us who would believe in the Messiah, right, our Master, Jesus of Nazareth, is taking us and putting us as an offering in front of the Father in his priestly role that is going on in the high places right now. All right, so be encouraged. Right? And also take seriously what's going on here. Right? This is why in the scriptures God tells you, be holy as I am holy. Right? Because that's, that's a high calling. Right? right, We are being offered as part of this first fruits. And offerings made to the Lord are holy. Uh, finally, uh, turn back with me to uh, Leviticus, please. And people say that Leviticus is boring. <laughs> All right. Uh, Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. I want to pay spe- special attention to verse 14. Right? And some of us have seen it. Philip was already going here, right? So I'm going I'm to tie up some of his thoughts here. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all of your dwellings. Right? Again, in, right, What what's what's going on here physically is they're finishing up last year's harvest. Right? This year's harvest, you don't get to eat any of that until this offering has been made. Right? So, the, the sacrifice, the offering, then you get to eat bread. Alright? Now, last time I checked, the bread of life who came down from heaven was our master. Right? Notice that we don't get to enjoy that bread, right? We don't get to eat that bread until the sacrifice has been made. Right? So this Right, Under, understanding. As the writer of the book of Hebrews understands the 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 inherent the inherent weakness of a temporal system, right? Because this happened year after year, right? We're always doing always doing first fruits, right? Every year first fruits comes around. Every year Yom Kippur comes around. Every year these things happen, right? Keep in mind that the ultimate first fruits sacrifice was made before the foundation of the world right and this is borne out read revelations 13:8 right a lamb slain since before the foundation of the world right so what i'm what i'm trying to say here is that this passage is showing us the eternal nature of the sacrifice of our lord right the eternal nature right in that in that our Lord's ultimate sacrifice, right, and his ultimate triumphant resurrection, which is the first fruits from the dead, right, yes, that occurred approximately 32 AD, right, yes, in time, right, but that has been accepted, right, in the heavenly places, like the writer of the book of Hebrews says, that has been accepted on our behalf since the foundation of the world, right? So because that sacrifice has occurred, and it ha- look at verse 11, right? The purpose of that sacrifice is to be accepted on your behalf. This is the gospel according to Moses right here. That sacrifice is to be accepted on your behalf. Then, after that, you get to enjoy the bread of life. Right? So my, my encouragement to you today is to, every one of us should be enjoying the bread of life. Right? What did, we, what did we celebrate last night? Right? On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. He broke it. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat of it, all of you, for this is my body. Right? We should be enjoying, enjoying the bread of life. We should be living in the fullness of life, and it's only possible after. We only get to eat the, of this harvest after the first fruits. Okay, that's point one. Point two, the resurrection. I've already made a few points on it, right? Literal, physical, all right? I do not know right now where the physical body of Jesus of Nazareth is. I know that it exists, right? I know that there are holes in his hands, right? Probably, actually, based on crucifixion, probably holes in his wrist, right? And these holes. Right? I mean, if you, if you poke a nail through this to crucify someone, it'll probably rip out and it'll hurt, but it won't properly crucify. Right? So to make sure that none of his bones were broken, because that's the requirement of the Passover lamb, right? he was probably nailed right here. Okay? Now, notice right, that, yes, his body was raised perfectly. Well, why does his body still have holes in it? Right? Because those holes are wounds of honor, And for the rest of eternity, every one of us, right, who has chosen that we want to live in His kingdom, will be able to go up to His physical body and see the work that He has done for every one of us. All right, I'm not going to, you know, people that got blown apart in a war—they're not going to be raised blown apart. Okay, they'll be raised with perfect bodies, but they don't need, right, to show wounds on their bodies. That were necessary for the salvation of mankind. All right? So don't let it trouble you. It shouldn't trouble you. It should, right? You should give glory to God when you know that Jesus' body is raised. I don't know where it is physically right now, right? It will someday return to the Mount of Olives in great glory. And yes, he'll still have holes, right? And those, those holes are exactly the way they're supposed to be. All right? So, literal. Physical resurrection, all right. Also, right. I want you to know and to understand our religion, our worldview, totally different than a lot of the religions and the worldviews that you'll deal with, right? Because our religion is based on fact. We have good historical fact to back up the things that we're saying, all right? There is there we have an embarrassment of riches in studying the history of the resurrection. All right? So, I, I'm by no means a professional historian. I'm certainly an amateur historian. Amateur being the key word. All right? Now, right? Um, my wife, her birthday is on uh, October 25th. Right. For those of you who are fans of English history... October 25th is St. Crispian's Day, and in the year 1415, right, a, a French, a vastly numerically superior French force charged against English and Welsh longbowmen at the Battle of Agincourt, and they lost. They got their rear ends handed to them. Right? So, we don't usually celebrate my wife's birthday. We, we kind of do, right? But usually we're uh, crying God for Harry, England, and St. George, right? Because uh, the George family is from Wales. So, question, how do we know that the Battle of Agicur actually occurred? Did it occur? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, we know it because we read about it from people who were there, right? In the same way, how do we know that the resurrection occurred? We know because we read about it from people who were there. Now, not everything that is written down is necessarily true, but we can analyze the things that were written down and we can see whether they bear the mark of historical truth, right? I mean, if I say, yeah, in 1415, the English won a great battle, but we know from other historical sources that, yeah, the English weren't even in France and there weren't Englishmen, then we would conclude that these are spurious histories that we're reading. However, if we read about things and we see that they had a cultural impact that was continued forward, and we see that there are numerous sources for these things, and we see that these sources seem to comport with reality in other ways, right? Then we can have confidence that these historical events actually took place. And we have that with the the Greek documents that comprise the New Testament, right? We also have other documents. We have documents from we have documents from early Jewish sources in the Talmud, right? We have Josephus, possibly the greatest historical source ever, right? We've got other Romans that uh, Roman historians that talk about these things happening, right? Therefore, there are historic facts. We can call these historic facts. First of all, the empty tomb. That is historic fact. Right? Why is it historic fact? Right? Because we know from the histories that yes, first of all, there was an empty tomb and that no one ever denied it. Right? If you've got a bunch of wackos running around saying some dude that the Romans crucified has come back from the dead, pull his body out of the tomb and show them that they're wrong. Right? If you've got a guy whom the romans executed the romans are supposed to be good at executing people that claim to be kings right i mean they they put a sign above him when he was crucified saying the king of the jews right the man's a traitor to rome the man raised himself above caesar right that was that was the offense for which he was executed all right and you'll you'll keep in mind that the jewish authorities went to pilate and said hey this guy is claiming he's better than caesar he's claiming to be a king right and that was right and that was a and that was a historically roman practice of this person's being crucified we're going to tell you why he was crucified right if the empty tomb was not a fact pull the man's body out and show everyone and that will end the debate right but strangely this didn't happen sure sure yeah and we we'd have all sorts of good evidence saying that yeah there was a dead body out here and And this thing would have died right then and there. But apparently, someone was alive right then and there. That's the point. This is good historical evidence. Also, we have the changed lives of the apostles, right? We already talked about James, right? James thought his brother was a crazy man. We have evidence of that witnessed numerous times in these historical documents, right? And yet, Shortly afterwards, James was leading a totally changed life, arguing for the deity, death and resurrection of his, his brother, Yeshua ben Yosef, right? We also have the cha- we have various changed lives. All of the apostles had a changed life, right, based on their, their religious upbringing right there was there was nothing there's there's nothing in the scriptures that leads us to conclude that someone comes back from the dead before the judgment right there there's there there's nothing you know now w- when I say that when i'm 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 not talking about the specific prophetic references to the messiah right there there's nothing in early Judaism to make us think that this would happen, and yet. Many of these people went to their deaths proclaiming that it did. Keep in mind that at this point in time, Judaism was a legal religion in the Roman Empire, right? If you were not part of this legal religion, you needed to become part of the the Roman practice. You needed to sacrifice to the gods as part of your civic duty. Jews didn't have to do this, right? But these these messiah, these Christians, right, were willing to move themselves in some cases outside of the realm of this legal religion, right? In order to, uh, in order to proclaim this man risen, right? We also talked about Paul, right? Paul was a student of Gamaliel the Great, right? He mentions him, spe- he mentions his teacher specifically in some of his writings, right? Paul talks about his conversion, right? So we have the changed lives of the apostles, right? We also have early attestation of these early historical sources, right? This is good historical evidence, right? These historical facts, right? There was an empty tomb, right? Well, first of all, let's start with, there was a guy named Jesus. There was a guy named Pilate. Pilate killed Jesus, right? Jesus was dead. When we say Pilate killed Jesus, Jesus was dead. Dead, dead, dead. Yeah, yeah, no, no swoon. Right? That's just weirdness, right? No swoon. Dead. Buried. Right? Empty tomb. And that a number of these early followers of Jesus very firmly believed that they had seen him alive. These are historical facts. Right? These are historical facts that are, for the most part, not questioned. Now. What do you think happened? The most logical thing is to conclude that this man got up and walked out of that tomb. Now, I understand virgins don't give birth, men don't walk on water, and dead men don't rise. Let me finish the thought unless these things happen by the power of God. All right? This is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of humankind. With the possible exception of the creation of the universe. Possible. possible. But certainly in the, since the fall and since the, in the, the redemptive work of God temporarily began, there is nothing more important than this. And we have very good evidence that it happened. So, I would like to conclude. I hope that I've been... Uh, Short enough, Philip, for your taste. Um, I would like to conclude by um, exhorting you guys. Note that note that both Paul and James, they talk about the resurrection, right? They talk about the first fruits. And both of them conclude with an exhortation to moral behavior. Right? This the, the historical fact of the resurrection. Should do, should do warm, fuzzy things for your heart. That's certainly true. But it should also lead us to moral behavior. Right? It should lead us to live lives as if this has happened. Right? To le- live lives as if there is a God. Blessed be He. Right? He is fixing everything we see broken in the world. He wants to fix you. We should go along with that fixing process and we should live lives that show that we're going along with it. All right, let me finish with, uh, all right, we're talking about harvest. We're talking about first fruits, so I don't think there's a better place to finish than John chapter four. And uh, we'll start in verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? So Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do not say, There are still four months, and then the harvest. Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. All right, I'd like to encourage you. Right, our master, you know, both at the time of first fruits, because it's especially appropriate in this case, but at all times he expects a harvest. Right? He expects a harvest of righteousness. He is... The first fruits. We are a kind of first fruits with him. Please join him in the harvest. Chag Sameach. Thank you for your time. Yeah.